Do you ever feel like, uh, like your life is just sort of chaos? Things seem a little out of control and, and messy and you're kind of just unsure what, what to do, how to navigate through it. It's usually, this feeling is usually not about all of our life, but at least some part of our life. Perhaps it's a, it's, it's a fiscal chaos, right? You're, you're terrible at budgeting and the bills are piling up and you're in credit debt and it all seems to be compounding. Actually, it is compounding. And, uh, and, and you feel it's chaos. Maybe it's uh, familial. Your family is, is, is just kind of a mess. You've got too many kids, teenagers going in different directions. Your young adults are trying to navigate through life and you feel like you can't keep up with it all. But yes, this is a little autobiographical. My wife's email address is ourchaos at gmail.com. And her, her Wi-Fi password for our little Wi-Fi at home is feralchildren9. Um, feels like chaos. Maybe it's in the romantic area of your life. Your dating life has somehow become this crazy soap opera and you're just not sure what happened. In any case, when we feel this way about life or some part of life, what do we tend to do? How do, how do we tend to get help? Well, we turn to, to the experts, right? We, we grab a book by that person with lots of letters behind their, their name, you know, that fiscal advisor or that relationship expert with the PhD. We listen to podcasts by eloquent speakers and, and counselors and life coaches. We go to seminars led by experts who have the six steps to financial success or to relational harmony or something like that. We do this to try to bring some order and control to our lives. We go to those who promise the wisdom and the knowledge, who can articulate plausible strategies to help us. It just makes sense, right? We go to the experts. Now I say this because I think that we tend also to do this in our spiritual lives. If we feel unstable and unclear and a little chaotic, spiritually perhaps shaky in our faith, we go grab that hottest Christian book or download the podcast from that impressive Christian speaker that we can listen to on our, on our drive. And I'm not saying that this can't be helpful, a lot of helpful stuff out there, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, seems to have a very different approach as he exhorts the Colossians here. He wants them to have ordered Christian lives. Look at, look at the end of our text, verse 5. This is kind of the goal. He says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, by God's spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. His joy is to see their spiritual lives in good order as they relate to one another and relate to the Lord. He wants them to be firm, he says, secure in their faith. But where does he start? What does he do? What does he want them to know so as to get there? Does he give him uh, six steps? Does he invite them down to the synagogue for one of his seminars on the life of faith. Now look what he wants them to know. Look at verse 1. For I want you to know how great 
a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. He doesn't want them to know that he's an expert, although he is an expert, by the way, on the gospel and on the scriptures. But he doesn't say that. He wants them to know his struggle for them. Not only for them, but for all the Laodiceans, for all those he haven't even met face to face. His gospel struggle. By the way, that includes us who haven't met him face to face. And why does he want them to know his great struggle? Why does he want us to know his great struggle? Well, look at verse 2. That. He wants them to know this struggle so that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, I know that's a mouthful. But what he is basically saying is this. He wants them to know his gospel struggle for them, that they may be united knit together in love, so that they will come to fully understand all that they have in Christ. Do you see that? How they have everything, all wisdom and knowledge in Christ. This, he believes, will give them stability, a kind of gospel stability to their lives. Look at the results. Look what he thinks will happen if, he, if, if they have this. Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For I'm absent, oh, I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. You see, they are surrounded by experts, some who've even come into the church, that are trying to, to add to Christ, to add to the gospel. They are saying they have other wisdom and knowledge to, to bring order to their lives. And it sounds like good stuff, but it's deluding, he says. It's a deception. So Paul, to to firmly secure them, reminds them of three things. His gospel struggle for them, their knitted hearts as a result, and the full assurance that comes in Christ. He thinks this will ground them, make them firm in their faith. And I think it will do the same for us. As we live surrounded by many voices and experts and podcasts and TikToks and tweets and plausible arguments. So let's take a look. Let's go through these three things. Point one, his great struggle for them. I want you to know how great a struggle, he says. Paul is talking in verse one about his personal struggle in bringing them the gospel and growing them in it. It wasn't an easy, impersonal task, you know. He didn't just sit back writing his theological words from his wood-paneled office with, you know, a little cup of tea. It's amazing, actually. Many scholars kind of portray him this way. They caricature him as this detached cerebral, dogmatic teacher who in his Hebrew elitism was kind of indifferent to women and insensitive to Gentiles and ungracious to his opponents, but nothing could be farther from the truth. I think they're kind of projecting themselves on him. 
He was invested. He gave his life. He suffered for their sake. Look back at, at chapter 1, verse 24, the par- top of the paragraph above. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. The Greek word that he uses here for struggle, for his great struggle for them, is the word agon. It's the word that we get agony, agonize from. He agonized for them, that they would know Christ. And I was thinking this week about how he, how he agonized for them. What are the ways that Paul agonized for the Colossians, for the, all the churches? Well, one, he agonized physically, bodily, didn't he? He wore himself out working day and night as a tent maker so he wouldn't be a burden to any of them. We saw that in the reading of the Thessalonians. So that he could come and, and speak to them without them having any sense that he was doing it for money. He took beatings in the streets. He was kicked out of the synagogues. He was whipped. He physically agonized to bring them the gospel. This is the kind of physical sacrifice that we see of gospel workers today. I was just thinking about our missionaries, the Tangways, and if you've been keeping up with them, man, they've been getting every sickness you can possibly get in Nepal as they're trying to be tent makers there to bring the gospel. He agonized in his preaching and teaching for them. Yes, we say, well, he was inspired by the Spirit, right? He was led by the Spirit to write these things. How hard could it be? Well, chapter 1, verse 28, just before our text, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So when God works within him to inspire him to write these words, he toils, he struggles, he strives. Every word he pours over to be clear and accurate persuasive any real preacher out there worth his salt knows this toil agonizing over every word in his study on Thursday and Friday knowing Sunday is coming because he wants to serve up the word clearly and accurately he agonized not just Bodily and not just in preaching and teaching. He agonized pastorally for them. Dealing with their dysfunction and their sin. Calling them to fidelity and purity in their, in their marriages. Striving to bring unity between Jews and Gentiles. Think of that struggle. Helping them apply the, the gospel in domestic situations. Remember uh, the book of Philemon? Where he's, he's bringing reconciliation between slave and slave owner. Talk about a struggle. He agonized in prayer for them. From the very beginning of this book, he's constantly reminding them how he's praying for them. If you turn back to chapter 1 at the very start, verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ. Skip to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, Asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will. Flip to the end of the book, chapter 4, verse 12. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Epaphras, who's with Paul, is praying as they pray together, agonizing. If you ever tried to pray for more than 10 minutes, you know what work it is. And you know if if you really care for those people you're praying for, how it can be agony. Think about praying for that hurting child of yours or the wayward child. It can be a, a struggle of your life. Paul has been and still is struggling for them in physical suffering, in gospel proclamation, in pastoral care, in prayer. And as as he yearns for them to be stable in the gospel, firm in their faith, he wants them to know this struggle. He wants them to remember it. He wants it to seek into their hearts his struggle for them. Why? Because it speaks of the authenticity of his message. That's why. Think about it. Paul is proclaiming a gospel about a suffering Savior, a Messiah who suffered and died for their salvation. And he's calling them to, to trust, entrust their lives to him. And as he proclaims that message, he is suffering for them to do it. Walking the talk. That's the real deal. That's a personal investment in them that that screams a genuineness to his message. His life and his message are intertwined in suffering for them. When I think of the Tangways and their, their suffering, it brings a genuineness to their message. When I think of Maddie's place, I'm going to brag on my wife a little bit here, but also all those involved with it, right? Caring so much for these suffering babies. They're not just talking about it, not just writing about it. They're living it out. It's been five years struggling to get that place going and now working at it 24-7. Brings a, a realness, doesn't it? Think about that good Christian friend in your life that's always there intertwined what a contrast to the external false teachers in verse 4 those offering more wisdom with plausible arguments let me tell you a little more about these guys they are outsiders that are coming into the church perhaps jewish scholars or philosophical teachers and saying to these young Christians who are, who are struggling to figure out the Christian life, how to live in good order, hey, we have the answers. We have new and better wisdom. Listen to us. And they are very eloquent. The phrase plausible arguments is often translated impressive speech. These guys are clever communicators. They're very persuasive. And what they're saying sounds very plausible. It it seems to make sense. Probably sounds very religious and pious and even Christian. But it's actually leading people away 
from keeping Christ central in their lives and looking to him for everything. It's adding to Christianity in a way that's taking away from Christ. But people can't see it because they're so impressed with the packaging. They're so enthralled with the smooth talk. So they're being deluded, Paul says. Deceived. Led away. I mean, maybe, maybe they do offer more than this gospel Paul has brought them. They sound so good. You see, Paul wants this church to remember his gospel struggle for them because it stands in contrast to these smooth talkers. These impressive speakers don't know them or care for them. They aren't invested in their lives. They haven't suffered for them in their teaching and pastoral care and prayer. So Paul says, remember my great struggle for you and stay here with the gospel I brought you. Don't be deluded by the impressive talkers. My friends, we live in an age where we have unprecedented access to impressive communicators, dynamic speakers and teachers. We can follow them on Twitter, download their podcasts, watch their TikTok, watch their YouTube channel. They can be ever-present in our lives, right in our hand. And not only are they eloquent speakers with plausible arguments, but they have polished, edited productions with powerful imagery and soundtracks to grab us. So the danger of being deluded and sidetracked from Christ is high. Even if said podcaster is speaking in the name of Christ. Just remember, these virtual teachers aren't invested in you. They don't even know you. They aren't praying for you and struggling in their lesson preparation with you in mind because they care and know about what's going on in your life. And they definitely aren't agonizing and suffering to bring you their dynamic teaching. It costs them nothing. In fact, for most of them, it pays. That's why they're doing it. Now, I know there is good stuff out there on the web, good podcasts, good preachers and teachers. But here's the thing. If that is your diet to the neglect of the church, if that is replacing sitting under your pastoral and elders and small group leader care, these leaders that may be a bit boring at times and can't seem to use a PowerPoint, but they toil over the word for you to exhort you in Christ and toil and struggle alongside you in your life and are with you in the ups and downs so that they know your life and you know theirs and they're faithfully praying for you. If you are neglecting that because it's easier to sleep in and then take a jog and listen to a podcast by one of the great preachers, Danger. 
you're in danger. If that's your way, you will become spiritually anemic and unstable in your faith, your life will become disordered, and you will be easy fodder for the false teachers. Because that's not how God designed us to grow in Christ so as to know all the treasures of his wisdom and knowledge and come to full maturity. No, it's about this relational gospel struggling that produces growth in and through the community of believers, his church, his body. And we see this idea developed in the text here in point two, the second element of gospel stability that we see, and that is knitted hearts. We move from his gospel struggle to their knitted hearts. Look at verse 2 of our text. That. He wants them to engage with his struggle that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Paul's, Paul's great struggle for them is leading to something, right? It's leading to them being knit together. See, what I think has happened here is that Paul has, as he's loved them, excuse me, as he's loved them this way, agonizing for their growth, their hearts have been encouraged and they have thus adopted this, the same pattern with each other. Sacrificially struggling for each other, invested in each other's lives, entangled, which of course is the pattern of Christ, right? Christ coming and being with us and dying for us. It's cruciform love. This has become the ethos of their community. And as they've done this, they've been knit together, bonded. The unity that they have, the unity that they have in the Spirit of Christ has become an enmeshed reality in their daily lives, in their community. They are knit together in love. Now, if you're not sure what I'm talking about here, this knit together love, think back to yesterday, if you were here. Think back over this past week as this body has wrapped itself around Caleb's family, their family that's been enmeshed here, entering in, entangled in their grief and their sorrow with them, remembering and celebrating with them, comforting and caring for practical needs, agonizing in prayer for them, like this knitted blanket of Christ's love. My friends, this is why we so encourage you, if you're becoming part of this church, to get into a, a small group, whether, you're, whether it's a, a youth group or an adult level, get entangled, to get knit in. This is why we're developing our Koinonia care counseling trainings to give you tools to dig into each other's lives, to invest, so we can have hearts knit together in love. And here's the amazing thing. I think this is what Paul is really getting out here. What's the result of this? Them, the, Paul's struggle for them, them being knit together in love. What's the result? Well, look at the end of, or kind of halfway through verse 2, where it says, encourage being knit together in love, and then it's comma, and it says, to. That's in Greek, that's ace. That's a preposition, into. 
right? He, he, all of this is so that they will be brought into all the riches of full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. And so they will come to fully understand Christ and all the wisdom and knowledge for life that's in him and thus be confident in him, full of assurance in him, filled with his wisdom. It's amazing. Think about it. We tend to think of, of, of you know, how, how do I unlock the, the mysteries of Christ and the treasures of his wisdom in my, my life so I can kind of walk better? Well, I need more teaching, right? I, I, I need more deep thinking. I need that new book that will take me to the next level. I, I need that expert with the seminar and the charts or the podcast, which all, by the way, can be great stuff or, or not. The point is, is that all of that thinking is completely detached from this, from the church. It's, the, it's this cerebral exercise that we engage in where all we may need is our, a Kindle and a, and a cup of coffee or a good Wi-Fi connection. But Paul says, no. This is where you find it. Come into it. This is where you reach it. All the riches of Christ. They are knit together in love too. So that, I think the NIV said, NIV says, all the riches of full assurance and understanding of Christ, his wisdom and knowledge they can come into. Yes, it's in his word as we study it, but it's lived out in practice in his body. It's exemplified as his body strives to love each other. So as we engage sacrificially together, knit together, we start to know him in a fuller way. We start to know his wisdom in a way we can never know through a book or a screen. And by the way, this isn't some one-off idea, you know, that's just here in the book of Colossians in this little verse. It's in just about every epistle. I just want you to flip over to Ephesians or flip back to Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter 2. Or is it chapter 3? Chapter 3, I think, verse 18. Let's start at 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the depth and the length and the height and the, uh, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you be filled with all the fullness of God. How does it happen? How does this knowledge come? With all the saints in community. In this. This is the tragedy of what has happened or really has been exposed through COVID. Where so many people have walked away. They got really used to sitting at home and they walked away from the church and were like, I'm good. I've got my podcast. And this brings us to one of the final elements of gospel stability. Paul's struggle for them and, and their knitted hearts brings one more thing, point three, a confidence in Christ. 
or as Paul expresses it here, full assurance of understanding in him. You see, it's not that suddenly they have all the understanding downloaded into their brains, but they have this full assurance that all the wisdom they need is, is there in Christ and it's accepts, accessible through his people. As they come into their invest, and they're invested together, everything they need to handle their life situations, they can tap into right there. So they have this, this confidence, this firmness of faith that would keep them, that would keep us from, from being deluded, from going after every impressive sounded teaching that's going viral, because we don't need it. We have him. We have his body. We've been knit together in love. We're firm in our faith. By the way, if you were here yesterday for fake Caleb's funeral, you know this, he had this solidness. We were talking about this at, at men's Bible study when we were talking about him. Talk about a, a firm faith in Jesus. Why? Because he out-Bible studied the rest of us? No. Because he was a Christian podcast fanatic? No. Because he was always reading the new Christian book? No. I think it's because this guy was so knit in to this family in love. This is what was testified to over and over and over again at his funeral, how he was ever-present here at the church, involved in everything from small groups to King's Club to men's Bible studies to work days to retreats. They were knitted in. Did you know that Shelley and Caleb's, they had their wedding. Do you know what day they had it on here at the church? They had it on Family Fun Fest Day so that they could join in to the whole church celebration and we could all celebrate together. Their unity with the unity of the church and the family. He was constantly serving struggling in the gospel for us and with us, engaged, entangled in our lives. His life was knit in with this family, so, so it was of good order. He was firm in his faith in Christ, gospel stable. Paul would have rejoiced at his life. And I think he's rejoicing with him now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that knowing you, knowing your son and and the fullness of his wisdom in our lives is not some cerebral task that, that the elite among us can dominate in, but it's something that is relational and real and that you've brought through your family. May we struggle for each other like Paul did. May we be knit together in your love. And may we know the fullness, all the treasures of your wisdom and knowledge in your son. Amen.